This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my daughter, Bethany, and we are studying Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. We are at episode 24. We're doing episode 24, and this is recorded on August 29th, 2019. Bethany, chapter one of book four we have finally reached we have arrived. a new chapter and boy it's a lulu compared to where we've been it's true um certainly it's real heady stuff yeah i mean one of the most challenging concepts for christians that that uh you know gets uh, a lot of argument from non-christians and then christians are many times unprepared to respond. So I hope this is really edifying for our audience. And uh, so, you know, the first the first question that is asked here is some advise a plain practical religion, simple do's and don'ts, Mm -hmm. while others recommend a personal vague religion that is feeling God in nature and such. Mm -hmm. And against their advice, Lewis advocates theology because he doesn't believe the ordinary person is a fool or a child. Mm-hmm. Theology is the science or study of God. And those who want to think about God want the clearest and most accurate ideas about God. Mm-hmm. So how is theology like a map? Yeah, it, he, he goes through this kind of interesting analogy where he talks about like, and it all stems from someone telling him, you know, theology's all well and good, but I don't really need to hear about it because I've been, I've felt closer to God when I'm by myself in the middle of the desert. And so he gives this analogy where he says, like, okay, I get that, like, that d- having that divine f- experience. And then listen, reading theology would make you feel like you went from something very real and authentic to something less so. But then he says, that's like saying that someone who goes and looks at the Atlantic Ocean and then goes back and looks at a map, they also would feel like, well, I saw the real thing and now I'm looking at this map. Mm-hmm. But he says, like, the, the important thing to remember, though, is like, yeah, you have seen the Atlantic Ocean, but when you look at a map of the Atlantic Ocean you're seeing layers upon layers upon layers of people who have seen the ocean, right. experienced the ocean, and then written you a roadmap. Right. And he said, that's the same thing with theology. Like, yeah, you that's it's different than your experience, but the map is super important. Right. Because if you're standing and looking at the Atlantic, that's beautiful and wonderful, and yeah, it feels divine. But if you're planning a trip, mm-hmm. you kind of need that map. It's necessary. And in the same way, theology is necessary because it is the science of God. Yep. Yeah. So. No, that, that's, uh, that's, I think, uh, a great way to articulate it. There's something I like to say to people in church, especially on special, really sacred occasions, like, say, a funeral or a wedding or something like that, a baptism. I always like to remind people that there's an altar present. And the reason the altar is present is because it is an indication of God's presence. It's a sign of God's presence. 
And I always say that that is due in part to the fact that as long as anyone can remember in biblical history, there was always this consistent process that actually predates biblical history in a sense, because even though it's not described in the book of Genesis, we just arrive suddenly at an indication that Cain and Abel were giving offerings Mm -hmm. to God. So clearly, from almost day one, Mm -hmm. they are offering sacrifices. And altars are the place where these happen. And the understanding and the expectation associated with an altar is is that God shows up. That an altar indicates that God is present. And that, you know, because God, and and what it really means is, is that because God was present there once, we can always assume that God's going to be present again. And so altars were erected where people like Abraham and Isaac Mm -hmm. and, and the big Bible guys, wherever they had an encounter with God, they put up an altar, which means God's been here. Yeah. And so we have an altar in our church that says God's been here, that God is here, you know, and it's kind of the same thing. It may not look like anything to, you know, the casual observer, Mm -hmm. but it's a sign of God being present. It's the same way when we take the sacraments, when we take Holy Communion, which we will on, on Sunday and, and, uh, you know, there are a variety of, of uh, doctrines around communion, but the one thing I think people who receive communion can all agree on is at some point it's a reminder of God's presence. It's a sign of God's presence. Mm-hmm. It can be a lot more for some people and somewhat less for others, but it always comes back to it being something we do because it tells us that we're connected with our Creator and our Savior. So, yeah, good, good, uh, good stuff. So, so theology is practical and Mm -hmm. without it, there isn't, uh, there is an absence of any theology is practical Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's not the absence of any ideas about God, but the presence of wrong ones without it, you know, like. So theology helps us to discern between worked out thought through real Christianity and so-called popular Christianity. So what was the popular view of Christ and Christianity in England when mere Christianity was written? It's still this way. That he was a great moral teacher. And that if we would just do what Jesus said, we could establish a really great social order and the world would just be a really nice, lovely place. And the end. Which is all true. Yeah. Those are true things. Yes. But then it stops. And that's the point that Lewis makes, too, is like, great, keep going. Yeah. Um, but boy, it's still that way. Because I've had plenty of friends sure. or acquaintances even say, well, yeah, I think Jesus was cool. Like, he stood for really cool things. But that's the end. Like, they don't go beyond, like, yeah, but he's also, like, worlds beyond that. Yeah, because... Gandhi was a great moral teacher. Yeah, I mean, basically... That doesn't make him Jesus. That's what the the whole gospel of the... uh, The gospel of the kingdom uh, discussion that's pretty hot nowadays. And and it's a good thing that it's hot, because it should be. Mm Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the gospel of the kingdom, in other words, when when we proclaim the good news that there is a king and that he is reigning over all things 
and all we have to do in order that he would reign over us is submit ourselves to his authority. Now, that's a totally different message than the good news that sins are forgiven and we should all be nice to each other and everything because, you know, that's not the same thing. So right. That, yeah. Ah, good answer. Good answer. So um, there's always a pop Christianity. I mean, yeah. I've always recognized that. Um, nothing nothing turns me off quicker than a visit to the Christian bookstore. Uh, buried within its confines are some really rich theological truths, mm-hmm. doctrinal truths, some really rich and powerful evangelical material like, you know, Kendrick Brothers movies. But they're surrounded, all this good stuff is surrounded by so much pop Christianity garbage. And, you know, it's all about marketing Christianity and marketing products. And I used to joke years ago about this, and I, I get caught, people got tired of hearing the joke, so I quit using it. But I always said that, that you know, the marketing people out there just assume that Christians are chumps, and if they came up with a commemorative set of beer glasses with Jesus' picture on them, Christians would buy them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's true, I think, you know, yeah. it really is. I. All right, so real Christianity differs from popular religion. It contains difficult statements like Christ is the son of God, and mm-hmm. those who give their confidence to him can also become sons of God. Mm-hmm. So our becoming sons of God brings us to the center of theology. Christ is the son of God, begotten, not created. Yes. Distinguished between begetting and making. Okay, so Lewis says that begetting or begotten is to like become the father or mother of like you're making something directly linked to you descended from you Mm -hmm. that's begetting whereas creation is making something too but there's not a direct lineage there's not a direct link Mm -hmm. yeah to beget is to become the father of Mm -hmm. And making is to create something. Yeah. And he goes further and says that begetting is making something that is the same thing as yourself, the same Mm -hmm. kind. Whereas making might be something similar to you. Like he gives the example of a statue that Mm -hmm. looks like a person, but it's not, it's still different. It's a different kind from you. And this leads me to one of my favorite theological principles to propound. I like to make sure regularly to tell people this, and I'm always interested in their response. We have, n- we are not the, the, the creator see, I just blew it with my tongue tied here. <laughs> what, I, what I want people to hear is, is that the creator is separate from the creation. That mm-hmm. The father has created us and everything else on earth and everything else in time and space. But the father is not part of the created order. The the father is the creator. Mm -hmm. And so the son having been begotten by the father 
is like the Father. Well, and that's what Lewis... We're made in the image of the Father. You know, humanity is a created thing that is different from the Father, but given image-like uh, similarity yeah. to... Yeah, and that's what he says is God begets God, God creates man. You got it. Yep. Good stuff. Wow. You just, you know, leave it to old Jack. Yep. <laughs> says it like it is, no more discussion. All right, so then the question is, if God makes what is not God, and that is why men are not sons of God in the sense that Christ is, nevertheless, everything God has made has some likeness to God's self. Mm -hmm. So how does God's likeness vary in the different things that God has made? Space, for example. Yeah, like... That's the example he gives is like space is like God in that it's absolutely huge, Mm -hmm. but the way that space is wonderful and great is not the same way that God is wonderful and great. Right. Um, And it might represent it, represent his greatness. Absolutely it does, but it's still not the same thing. Or like he says, matter. Mm Mm-hmm has energy like god probably has energy but it's not the same energy matter has physical energy whereas we can't even begin to comprehend the energy that is god i mean that's outside of our Mm -hmm. understanding um and then he goes on like you know trees plants things we eat are alive like god Mm mm-hmm but also totally different because it's not the same life. It's life he created. Um, And then he talks about us. We are like the animals and the plants and stuff. We're alive, but we're still created beings. Um, We're just the created life at what appears to be the highest level. Right. Um, And what we don't have that separates us from Christ because he was begotten is that spiritual life. And that isn't to say we don't have spiritual life because Lewis goes on and talks about that. And that's probably a question. So I won't talk about that yet. But, but we, so we have the life he's given us, but we don't, we, we don't have, we're created. We're not begotten. That's I'm just going to come back to that. (laughs) I mean, we, we already said it basically in a succinct way when we were answering the, the other question, but it's basically what we were saying is that that we are part of the created order. Mm-hmm. We're made in the image of our creator. Um, everything God created has marks of the creator. Yeah. But nothing is equal to the creator except that which is begotten by the creator, and that's Christ Jesus. Right. Well, that's just like you can... And I think I've heard people say this in different places, like, even if you don't see the signature of an artist, if you see a painting that has certain features, you can go, oh, that's a Van Gogh. But that's not Van Gogh. Right. It's something he created, and you can tell. Yeah. Or, oh, that's a Monet, because it's got that that Mm -hmm. beautiful... I love Monet. That's what I should have said. 
It's, you know, because right, when you, know, you see Monet, you can tell. Picasso, for example. Well, yeah. But when you see a Monet, you can tell it's a Monet because it's got that, it's usually got flowers. Right. And it's got a certain look. And, and but, but it's not, it's not the artist. It's the art they created. And you can tell, but that doesn't make it them. I'm a big fan of Edward Hopper paintings. I know. <laughs> like Nighthawks. Cool. <laughs> So, yeah, um, so the last question then is, natural man does not possess spiritual life, mm -hmm. so how are bios and zoe different? So he says that bios is the biological life, like, that, like, what you would think it would be, that everything runs down, decays, and, like, things in nature form like we we need air we need water we need food that's all bios um whereas spiritual life is in and from god and it's eternal um and that's the zo zoe i guess is how you that say that that is how i choose yeah. to pronounce it so what he says is that like bios is similar to zoe only it's like a shadowy resemblance um so it's like you and your shadow um but this the, he says it's the kind of resemblance that you would say between like a statue and a person right because it's not alive in the same way um yeah and and the significance of that is i believe that it sets the groundwork for the concept of new birth mm -hmm. you know that what he's saying basically is is that bios runs down it's subject to entropy mm -hmm. it, it's going to decay um you know but that zoe is eternal that part of us is eternal and scripture suggests no says plainly <laughs> jesus says that that's that happens with new birth when you're born again the zoe becomes a sort of preeminent existence that transcends the physicality of the bios so yeah yeah i like his last line in the chapter is we are the statues and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life <laughs> i think that's pretty good <laughs> You know, I just love uh. the dry wit of his generation of British people. Yes. They said all kinds of funny things, but you had to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good stuff. You know, I, I think this has been a really terrific uh, start to the next chapter, or the next book, I mean. So yeah. Now that we're in book four, and uh, I don't know, this may be a, a somewhat more brief one because there's not a whole lot that we can expound on here um but don't worry you know it'll get bigger and more complicated as we move through it so i guess the only thing that remains to say is bethany you got anything else i don't think so all right then folks thank you for listening you bless us remember to reach out to us and communicate with us we love to hear from you um, it's always gratifying when I run into somebody that says, really enjoy your podcast. And uh, it would be just as gratifying to have that uh, expression of, of uh, value 
uh, conveyed to us. So, you know, email us, just uh, drop us a note on the Facebook group or email me at the church. Uh, you can get all of that information by going to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And that's your starting point. And that's uh, a place I hope you'll explore the whole website. There's not a ton of stuff, so it won't take you long, but you'll find out how to get our app. You'll find out how to hear other uh, online audio offerings. Uh, we're constantly updating and improving things. It won't be long before you'll be able to see video stuff. So just stay connected with us and uh, let us know how this is serving you. But uh, for now, we're just going to say thank you, God bless you, and goodbye. Bye.